Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. Behaviorism. That's my starting point. It's a, a stretch, but it is my starting point. I'm going to use behaviorism in a different way. Um, behaviorism is a learning theory and I'm not going to really ground the conversation in that theory I might mention the theory but I'm not going to ground it in that theory I'm particularly interested in talking about the relationship between attitudes and behaviors intention and action but um, as the research suggests that's pretty complicated to um, make a case about the direct connection between intention and action it's, it's not it's it's contested. It's not settled theory. That means different theorists have different arguments about is there a direct connection between intention, intention and action or is there not? So that's, those are kind of two hiccups to this concept of behaviorism. Number one, I'm taking a word that's best understood as a learning theory. And I'm not going to ground the conversation in the learning theory. And the other piece is that um, I want to talk about intention and action in a way that is unsettled. There's some competing worldviews about if there is a link or not. Or how strong is that link if there is a link between intention and action. And then the third thing that makes this conversation a little bit tough is that I got a thousand things on the brain. Literally, I have about six. <laughs> Not a thousand. I have six different um, substrands that may not even connect to this idea about be this ambitious or murky framing. Um, that I've assigned as behaviorism. So anyway, that is my starting point. Um, just so you know, those um, substrands include FETI. Mm-hmm. Had a conversation with a researcher this week that uh, is loaded. I... Um, I'm seeing some growing up. I'm I'm feel like I'm going through a a second coming of age, if you will. So there's that. There's somebody that's crossed my path that is inspiring me, and that's making me think about my behaviors. And I'm thinking about the Midas touch. Um, my. The way I show up in the world, unknowingly, 
or or am I aware? I don't know. So you're probably like, how do those things relate to behaviors? Behaviorism? I'm not 100% sure. It's a stretch. I'm going to give it a shot, though, okay? If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. Also, I identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic bracket background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator of about 30 years and social scientist of a 30 years and half of that time has been in leadership. I got some other things I'm going to cut out. This project is unedited, unscripted. If you want to know more about it or me, go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Boom. Under five minutes. <laughs> I, so, But if you are new to me, I did cut out some things just to make the five minute mark but go to the website to learn more. Um, so, yeah, where do I want to start? I, I, I think I want to start with an, my initial thought. I was going to start with some text. I have my one of my favorite books, my go-to books, in for open social psychology. That's a, a significant staple in my life. Um, I also have the Enneagram book. I didn't open it up. And I have another book on my in front of me about learning theory about human learning rather I haven't opened that one up either so I have three books in front of me but only one is open and there's some text I want to read from the social psychology book that really just looks at behaviors and um, attitudes and behaviors or what I'm calling uh, intention and action so um, I'm going to go to that but I'm, I'm not going to start there What I want to start with is my initial thought this morning. So my initial thought was, what drives behavior or what influences behavior the most? Not exclusively, but what influences behavior the most? And I wrote down cognition, not thinking about the Myers-Briggs, cognitive functions. And... um, and then I wrote down conviction, which is interesting because in the text I was reading this morning, conviction, conviction actually came up. And I was like, oh, I wrote that down before I even looked at the text, that conviction has a relationship with behavior. I'm like, I'm smart. I'm smart. <laughs> um, but I started off by writing co- cognition first and then conviction. And then I was like, okay, two C's. Let's see if I can get a third C in there. It was a stretch, a struggle and a stretch, but I ended up writing consumerism and compliance. And actually, that connects to the text as well. So I am good. <laughs> what it means really is that I'm, I'm a social scientist. I don't, I don't get a chance to, to lean into that identity as much as I would like because of my Income is based primarily on being an educator. Although the last two years, maybe three, I've had the opportunity to have my jobs have allowed me to to tap into the social sciences. And that is awesome because social science was really my first, first love. It's really the thing that got me into college. 
because I wasn't going to college. I had no plans of going to college. High school was enough for me. Um, but along the way, I had to make money. And I found that I liked making money as an educator more than I like making money as an as a social scientist. And I don't know if that's 100% accurate. Like maybe accessing education as a profession was easier than accessing social science research or whatever. <laughs> um, as a, excuse me, I started coughing, as a profession. Because social science for me isn't about occupation. It's about a way of thinking. And it's about a way of understanding the world. Um, that can lead into an occupation. But it doesn't. It's not for me. But um, my training, I have been formally trained as a social scientist. And a, as a researcher, which connects to this research conversation I had with this young lady this weekend. This is not the first time I've talked with her, but this was me trying to be a grown-up because she's given me mega resistance, mega resistance, and in denial about it. In denial about the resistance she's providing and defensive about how it looks trying to do what's called image management so she's in denial and defensive and um, I've had a couple of conversations with her so I attempted this week to be a grown up and att- and have a scheduled a convers- meeting with her so we talked so anyway I want to process that with you maybe but anyway she's the researcher so anyway So I, this morning, you know, I'm just thinking about the correlation between uh, the inner world and, the, and our behaviors. And really, honestly, what I'm thinking about is um, I'm actually in a job where I'm working with a number of INTJs. My assistant is an INTJ. This researcher that I've referenced is an INTJ. A person on her team, a guy, is an INTJ. Another woman that um, competed for this position and didn't get it was an INTJ, is an INTJ. Um, That's five right there. I think there are two more. So you're like, what, what, what? And if you are an INTJ, you're probably feeling really jealous right now because we're rare, right? We don't run into each other. Uh, we're not the rarest type. But just for you, for those of you who are INFJs, because that's considered the rarest. Although I heard recently that the ENTJ is becoming the most rare. I don't know. Anyway, there are um, an, a few, a few INFJs in the organization. So a lot of, a lot of, um, NINS, introverted intuition, whether it's dominant or secondary, auxiliary, and that seems interesting in terms of the type of job it is. 
So <clears throat> remember, I talked about um, uh, about a month ago. I said I was suspecting that I was in an F E T I space, and that's true. So we have a lot of we do have a number of INTJs. I need to go in um, and do some more math here because in an organization of 30, just 30, um, almost half have the FETI axis where the um, FE is actually at the top of the stack. There might be a couple of people where TI is at the top, maybe, maybe one. But most of the people have FE in that dominant or auxiliary function, stack rather, spot. And then, but they're coupled with um, NI. You know, there's not they, but uh, it's, I'm getting kind of in the weeds here. <clears throat> so there's, there's FE. And it's either SI or NI. So, yeah. So, that's the really the dominant influence on the culture is FE. <laughs> and then when you look at TI from a tertiary or inferior space, TI is always, when you get down there and those, when you start using thinking in a thinking culture if you will in a think not a thinking culture but in a culture that values rational behavior even if the culture is not rational i think we have a culture that values rational behavior or rational thought i think when we start when that ti is in the tertiary I'm, i haven't really explored inferior I'm just assuming inferior, but particularly tertiary, it's defensive and it's a beast. It's a beast. I know how my FI introverted feeling in the tertiary spot. It's ridiculous. When when she's activated and she's on her own, she is ridiculous. Okay? Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, so I just, in the organization that there are more NIs. Uh, we're not the dominant, but we. But it, compared to how we run into, how we show up in the world, it's like NI heaven. All right, because I mean, really, we're really looking at about twenty percent of the organization having access to NI in the dominant or auxiliary space. So that's fascinating. That's not why I got on this recording to talk to you about my. The cognitive functions in my organization. So, sorry about that rabbit hole. I don't even know where I was going with that. Anyway, I, it'll come to me. But anyway, so, but I got up this morning and oh, I know what I was doing because my I know exactly where I was going. My um, my assistant is an INTJ, and she drove into town to help me set up my computer. Um, I have, a, I have a, a second monitor and I always thought it was ridiculous to have two monitors. Like what? I saw my sister have two monitors. I'm like, do you really need that? 
So I've been engaging because I work remotely. I've been engaging with on these Zoom conference calls, and you can see when people's heads are looking at the second monitor, and I'm like, "Why is that necessary?" <laughs> and then I started thinking, "Oh, well, we're work, we're zooming, and then we have to work on a document. It's just easier to just have two monitors. I mean, it's I've been doing it for four months, where I was I've been zooming and working on a monitor." working on a document on that monitor, one monitor for four months, it's doable. But um, my assistant drove to me and was like, I think you're going to be more efficient. I was like, you think so? She's like, yes, I think so. She's an INDJ. So (laughs) it's always funny to hear her say, this is going to make you more efficient. It's just funny. I think it's just funny. So anyway, she came into town, helped me with that. And then we went to dinner. Um, and then we did some a little karaoke. And um, just getting to know each other. And uh, there's no doubt in my brain that she, no doubt that she's an INTJ. Not one bit. And everybody that I mentioned as INTJs in my organization, there's nothing about them that would make me go, are you really? But my assistant is the most fascinating because she's the most, she's got more color to her. She's a white girl, not color as in race or ethnicity. But in terms of affect. And um, the other, there are two more. Those researchers have a really flat affect. I would suspect they're going to be INTJ5s. If I had to guess. And that other, that fifth one, um, she's, she has a little more of flavor to her, but not as much as my assistant. And I have a lot of flavor. So I have a lot of flavor and colorfulness, if you will. Animation sometimes. I can see myself as animated. And I'm like, what is that? And yes, I'm an INTJ. So that's what really, I think, was driving the thinking this morning. Like, huh, what really influences behavior? Is it the cognition alone? Because I'm I'm looking at these INTJs and I'm looking at not their inner processing. Like my assistant, I've had an opportunity to see her inner processing because we work closely together. But the other three, not really. So all I have are their outer affect or behavior. And so I just was curious about that, just the behavior part and what influences behavior. Um, and people who use the Myers-Briggs exclusively really are making an argument are basing a lot on the person based on their cognition. That's what they're doing when they don't use multiple systems. Sorry, you guys, I... I had you on pause for a couple of minutes. I had to take a phone call, so I'm not sure exactly where I left off, but um, I know I was trying to just, just, just make this case that when you're just using the Myers Briggs to understand a person, what you're doing is centering 
that person in cognition. Because cognitive functions, all of them, are about how we think and judge and respond to stimuli, respond to data. But that's not the only thing that that, uh, makes us who we are as humans. It's not the only thing that defines our personality. It's just a component. And so... um, yeah, I've been thinking about that. I also was think I've been thinking a lot about what happens to me when I get into a space where that tertiary function is it feels like it is ballooning out. And I've come up with my own theory, my primary theory that explains what's going on with me when that tertiary function feels bigger than it's I'm used to it feeling, it feels bigger. Um, it doesn't feel tertiary. It's, it's loud. And my theory is that there's something happening with my auxiliary function that is rendering the tertiary function as vulnerable because there's something about my TE, extroverted thinking, that's inactive or underactive. So that's how I've made sense of that tertiary function when it feels bigger. Um, But I have another blossoming theory that is about convictions and values. And all of that still is connected to the tertiary, right? I don't know how to explain this. This feels like I'm about to contradict myself, but when in my life am I driven by analysis? And when in my life am I driven by values? And that's the contra that feels like a contradiction. Because as an INTJ, I'm not being driven. In that theory, that my value shouldn't shouldn't drive shouldn't drive me. I don't know. If you are a Myers Briggs enthusiast, I would love to get your input. And if you're an INTJ, I would love your input. And even if you're an INFJ, <clears throat> see that INFJ is an interesting personality for me to explore because we both have the dominant function, introverted intuition. But as I have interacted with INFJs, I do not see them begrudging that tertiary function the way INTJs begrudge they are tertiary. An INFJ has a, very, a healthy relationship with the TI, even though I don't think that they have a, their TI is at its maximum level because it's tertiary. But they don't wrestle with it. They don't begrudge it. They lean into it. INTJs are not trying to lean into that FI. I don't know one who has. So let's lean into these feelings. <laughs> it's horrible. Horrible. <laughs> I don't know. I would love to know what someone thinks about that. But anyway, 
So that's one complication. Like what is causing, like what is the relationship that we should have with that tertiary function? It's there, but I don't know if we've ever, if I've ever really learned from the type community what really is the relationship I should be leaning into with that. Because we also know that all of those three functions, the tertiary, excuse me, the auxiliary, tertiary, and inferior functions are all there serving the dominant function. They're there and they have a role. And so why is it when that FI is doing its thing, am I struggling? Do I struggle with it? I really, really do. I really do. Um, so anyway, there's that. But as I was looking at my assistant, we were at dinner and, and I was just watching her. I was like, it was really a delight. She's very inspiring to me. Younger by uh, about 13, 14 years. But I'm so inspired by her. I think she's an amazing person, human being. Um, yeah, anyway. I was just watching her and her her INTJ self, and she's not flat. She's not flat, as I've seen other INTJs. I'm not flat. So I have made peace with that because I'm an INTJ. That has helped me. And I would suspect my assistant is not INTJ5. I wonder what she would be in the Enneagram world. I can't. She might be a six. She might be a um, seven. Yep. I've met a couple INTJ sevens. And seven is considered a playful orientation. They like to play. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? I do think she might be in that head. In the head cluster of the Enneagram. But anyway, anyway, so that's just got, has gotten me thinking about the behavior and like what influences the behavior. Because I don't think it's cognition alone. Um, so when I was talking in the last episode, and you guys really should go check that out. It's not getting a lot of love. It's pretty good. I, ha- I only listened to half of it. So I'm going to say the first half is pretty darn good. And I don't think I get a lot of love into these uh, theory and these reflections when they're so heavily into cognitive typology, which is interesting. Because if you're coming here for me to tell my stories, <laughs> I hate those. I hate the reflections where I'm talking about a personal story. I don't like those. I love when I'm more abstract. And that sucks if you all like it when I'm telling my business. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so anyway, will you go check out that last episode? It's called Truth and it gets philosophical. It's not even just about cognition. It gets philosophical about what is truth and it gets into some theories and um, and it does. There is some personal in there. But I think it's a, I thought it was a pretty good reflection. Anyway, it also could be just because I'm kicking out, starting to kick out more reflections now. It was, we're getting towards the end of the semester. So maybe that's what's going on. But anyway, so anyway, 
I feel like I'm just lingering here because I don't know what else I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with. Anyway, so that's the question about what's really impacting behavior cognition. I also have down convictions. And so when we look at uh, um, last the last reflection, I talked about quadras. And quadras are a way of grouping cognitive functions. And so when we group cognitive functions according to temperaments, um, that's, that's more of, that deals more with our affect. But when we group cognitive functions according to quadras, we're grouping them according to values that we have. And so in that, I'm just now learning about this, so bear with me. But when we do, as I understand it, there are four personality types that share the same four cognitive functions. They're just in a different order. So my cognitive functions are N-I-T-E-F-I-S-E. There are four personality types that have N-I-T-E-F-I-S-E. They're just in different orders. ENTJ, ESFP, and ISFP. So funny because for so long I knew my sister and I had, were very similar, but I thought we were similar because she was in. Um, I initially tagged my sister as an ENTP, and, and when she tested as an ISFP, I was like, "What the heck?" I was so confused. I was like, "Oh, something is wrong." And I make I made her test several times, and she was like, "Could you stop? Can you just accept me as I am?" I'm like, "I do accept you as you are, but analytically, I'm struggling with these letters." And that's because I didn't really understand that we have the same cognitive functions. For my sister, she's F I S E N I T E. The same functions. Like, if I have that right, so in the with the quadras, we have the same values. We're born with the same values, and how we move about in our world, our environment, will make us have a preference for one of those cognitive functions, or give us a pre- preferential order to those functions. So that then influences the stack. But I've been really fascinated by this idea that we're born with some values. Because I've also, I've also been contending for, for almost a decade, who are we at birth? And if we want to get a little technical and political or controversial, rather, who are we at conception? That's, I'm not going to touch it, but that is a question I've had. Um, but who are we at birth? And for so long, I wanted to say I was an INTJ at birth. I don't think that anymore. But this theory would say at birth, I had these cognitive functions. It was just as I started moving about in my environment, those functions started to have some type of preferential order or stack to them. Um, So I think I really like this idea of Starting off as being born as a set of values. That's fascinating to me. So I don't know. 
I like to think we were born as spirit. We're spirit traveling through. And we are born in the, and then we go into this. We're at conception. We are through the conception and the embryonic process. I don't know what happens when the baby develops in the uterus. When we become body. We become form. We're spirit and then we become form. And then we enter into the world. That's fascinating. That's just deeply fascinating to me. And what is, and I've been thinking, well, what is spirit then? I don't have the answers. Because that feels, spirit feels different than value or values, but I feel like I'm getting closer. I really do. I've been theorizing this for a long, long time. I feel like I'm getting closer. But anyway, maybe I only get one download on this particular reflection. Because I haven't told you any storytelling. And apparently you guys like that. <laughs> um, yeah. So so I've talked about so let me let me read something from the text. Maybe that's maybe it's time for me to do that. So in this text, and the text is called social psychology. It's giving a couple of theories about the relationship between attitude and behaviors. And attitudes are what I would say our inner world, our thinking and our our thoughts and our feelings. And the some researchers have assumed that there is a close link that exists between attitudes and behaviors. I'm reading you guys. However, a review of attitude behavior research revealed quite a different picture. Attitudes appear to be, at best, only weak predictions of behaviors. I'm going to keep reading in another paragraph. We look at their attempts to unravel the complexities and to thereby show that attitudes can predict behaviors. Because we're talking about research and researchers. More recently, other social psychologists have argued that our behavior often is non-rational and has nothing to do with our attitudes. And that's basically the two schools of thought, that there's a, a rational link between attitude and behaviors, or non-rational, not irrational, but non-rational. I'm going to read... Um, some texts about early studies of attitude and behaviors. Um, in, they just indicated that the presence of the attitude object is not always enough to trigger the expression of the attitude. So when we have an attitude about an object, we don't always see the expression or the behavior of that attitude. There are several reasons why attitudes aren't good predictors of behaviors. First, research showed that it was when investigators tried to link general attitudes and specific behaviors that the link appeared weak. So general attitudes and, and then specific behaviors, they couldn't find a strong link. But when they started looking at specific attitudes, they could see a stronger link with specific behaviors. I thought that was interesting. General attitudes versus specific attitudes as relating to specific behaviors. Another reason why attitudes and behaviors may not relate strongly is the fact that a behavior 
may relate to more than one attitude. That's kind of what I'm thinking about with these personality systems. That a behavior isn't just, there's a, not a direct correlation with one attitude. And I'm going to say cognition is an attitude. And I'm going to also say values and feelings. That's another attitude. And if we can, if we could measure or quantify spirit or we would, I would call that another attitude. So when we're looking at people's behaviors, we're really linking it to one factor when we only use the Myers-Briggs. And that's why we shouldn't just identify with these type systems. I get it. I get it, even though I make a case for it. If, if only one behavior is measured, your attitude may not relate to that behavior very well, I'm reading. It is much better if a behavioral trend, several behaviors measured over time, is measured, which makes a lot of sense. Attitudes tend to relate better to behavioral trends than a single behavior. Well, I guess that's what the Myers-Briggs is supposed to show us. This was called the theory of planned behavior. This theory assumes that the best predictor of how well we behave is the strength of our intentions. So in summary, um, if I'm going to give you what the, the, the three intentions are, the, what influences intentions. I'm going to read, if a person thinks that a particular behavior, if a person thinks that a particular behavior associated with an attitude will lead to positive outcomes that other people would approve, and that the behavior can be done readily, then the person will engage in the behavior. So there are three things that influence intention. Um, if you believe that you're going to have a positive outcome with the behavior, if you believe other people will approve or support you, and then three, if you have access to engage in that behavior. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I got to get going. Um, I'm going to read about a little bit from the importance of conviction. One research, one reason researchers underestimate the attitude behavior link is because they did not focus on attitudes that are important to people. Attitudes held with conviction are central to the person of holding them. I think we got on and I think I want to give one more text. I want to talk a little bit about non-rational acting. So far, the theories and ideas about attitudes and behaviors um, it assumes a rational, almost calculated approach to behavior. But some theorists have taken the opposite approach. They assume that human beings are non-rational actors and our attitudes may often be totally irrelevant to our behaviors. I think that's interesting. So in summation, people usually behave habitually, unthinkingly, even mindlessly. They may active, they make active decisions only when they face new situations. 
Thus, there is a good chance of inconsistencies between our attitudes and our behaviors. Man, I would just love, I would just love to just teach a class, not a, not a, I would love to teach a course on this. There's so much to unpack there. You guys, I got to get ready to go, but, um, cause I'm, I got to get to do some work, but I have, I think all of this is relevant for me. Of course, I'm just curious about the, the delineation or the differentiation between the INTJs that I'm around, but I'm also thinking about my own behaviors and uh, do I act in the way that's in alignment to my attitudes and do I act? And if so, like, let's come, let's face that. Um, because I feel like there is a desire in me and then I'm not necessarily walking in that desire. So then my question is, is that desire, here's what I think it is. I think the desire that I have is some, the new desires that I've been working with are from the lower stack. And I'm still very much governed by top of the stack desires. But I would like to have some new experiences or a different life. <laughs> I, I think. I have no idea how to get there. Um, and I would like to come back and talk a little bit about some Enneagram 8 stuff. And, and I didn't tell you about the lady, the researcher, which I probably don't need to. So I don't know. I think I'm just going to, uh, what did I say? Behaviorism? And behaviorism as a learning theory basically says that back when we were first trying to understand learning as a discipline, as a profession, we limited learning to behaviors. We would tell if a student learned a thing by how they acted. But research found that in what's called cognitivism, that behaviors aren't always the manifestation of learning. Learning is not always manifested or demonstrated by a change in behaviors. So that's what learned behaviorism said. But I love that in my job, I'm working with people who have studied behaviors in children. So it makes it really easy when we start talking to adults about their behaviors. Because we're like, well, okay, we know this is what we say about children and their behaviors. Does, there, does the link between behaviors and attitudes go away when we become adults? No, it just becomes more complicated because we have, because there's not a direct behavior to a single attitude. So we have multiple attitudes. And I think in children, it's not as complicated, although it is complicated. And so anyway, I feel like there was more I could have done with this reflection. But I gotta go. It's been a long time since I've done a reflection under an hour. <laughs> so anyway. Oh, yeah. Yep. If this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about um, the inner world as manifested by our behaviors, a link between our attitude in the inner world and um, our actions, behaviors, um, INTJ uh, variants, INTJ variants, and where I ended and I didn't really flush it out, but these desires and attitudes that we say we want, are we living them? What are, what are our behaviors, our behaviors telling us about who we are? 
Like in the Myers-Briggs community, I feel like rightfully so, we spend more time focusing on the inner world, which I think is right. What I'm asking, I think what I'm going to conclude and ask is who, uh, what would, what would we learn about ourselves if we just focused on our behaviors? If we just strictly looked at our behaviors, not our intentions, not our attitudes, but strictly our behaviors, what would we learn about ourselves? So if my moving about in this reflection, oh, excuse me, if that conversation relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. Um, and if my moving about is caused from random missing you, you can uh, please find a way to share that with me. You can find me on my website at youreanidom.wordpress.com, on Twitter, youreanidom1, Facebook, and YouTube, youreanidom. You already know what your assignment is. Observe yourself strictly by your behaviors, not your attitude, not your intentions, not your cognition, not your feelings, just by your behaviors. Just look at your behaviors. First of all, that's going to be hard. See if you can observe and make some observations. Strictly your behaviors. And then allow yourself to analyze them. What those, those behaviors alone tell you. Do not link those behaviors with intentions. Don't link them with attitudes. Don't link them to the inner world. This is just a thought experiment. What do those behaviors alone offer us? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. It's very short. I haven't done a short one in a long time, but... It is what it is. Um, It has been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.